Welcome to Make 'em Take 'em, brought to you by Rookie. Rookie's prize accumulator continues to grow. They now have included a signed Muggsy Bogues photo. So whether you love Space Jam or just 90s basketball, you must want to win that one. It joins Luol Deng's rookie card and the official NCAA Final Four program from last year. Five more prizes will be added to that pot before it's given away to one lucky winner. And all you need to do is go and follow Rookie on either Facebook and Twitter. Just search for at official rookie. Remember, it's rookie without the E. Um, back to our episode today. Plenty to discuss. Plenty going on in the world of British basketball. Thankfully, I am joined by the turner to my hooch, Chris Mays. Hey, Chris, how are we doing? All right, mate. How are you? Yeah, I took the bullet for you there. I was quite happy being the dog in that partnership. I, I thought, <laughs> who looks most like hooch? And I think it's probably an even fight between me and you. It is. You're more slobbery than me, though, at the end of the day. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'd argue that after a couple of beers. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> How's things? All good? I'm all right, you? Yes. Yeah, it's good. Busy, but good. And always interested by the basketball that's going on. He always gives us plenty to talk about every week, so I'm not going to complain about that. Um, so our episode today, we're going to focus in uh, a little bit away from the BBL for the first time this year. We're going to have a look at the international team, but obviously we're going to jump back into the BBL as well. Um, but Chris, first question I've got for you, GB men start their uh, World Cup qualification campaign this weekend. Um, Thursday, they're taking on Greece. Sunday, they have Turkey. I wanted to look big picture. Easy for us to get involved with who's been selected, blah, 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 blah. But I wanted to zoom out a little bit. And the question I've got for you is, what difference would it make if GB men qualified for the World Cup? Do you know something? It's a massive difference it's going to make to the series, you know, for, for taking the sport seriously. Let's face it, in a four-year cycle, the Olympics are out for us at the moment. It's the best 12 teams, and you have to go through too many qualifying periods to get into that qualifying tournament, let alone... This World Cup qualifier, you know, making the tournament of the World Cup, that means in the cycle of four years, you're playing international competition as long as you make Eurobasket three out of four years. So to me, you know, it's it's an extremely important important aspect of not only the development of the game, but also just our national team for full out. I mean, we get another chance to take on different countries and different uh, qualification systems and be ranked among the best in Europe. And, you know, if we want to take this game seriously, these are the guys that we have to face on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, I, well, there's no other reason we do this podcast for the fact that we love British basketball, um, you know, and we we champion the cause of British basketball when, whenever we can. We're realists, so we're not always going to paint the rosiest of pictures, but we definitely want British basketball to be as big as it can be. And for me, the next logical step has to be the World Cup for both the men's and, and women's team, the World Cup. You know, they need to establish themselves as perennial Eurobasket for the women's that's there or thereabouts for the men's. It's certainly, it's not too bad, but you know, we, we've missed out. That's for sure. So we, we need to make sure we're there, but the next step is the, is the world cup without, you know, it's becoming a very big competition. You know, I was lucky enough to be over in China for the world cup in 2019, a phenomenal tournament. Um, yes. The USA didn't send their best players, but you tell me there wasn't some unbelievable talent on show. And for GB, we need to be there if we're going to progress our national team program. So it's huge for us. Um, as I said, GB Greece on Thursday night in Newcastle. Um, game in Newcastle they played against Germany was amazing, to say the least, last time, last qualification period they had for the Eurobasket. Are you expecting the same? And is Newcastle a good venue for hosting GB games? 
I think it's an excellent venue for hosting GB Games. You know, Paul Blake does a good job of marketing it. <laughs> puts a full crowd in there, puts the right atmosphere together. I mean, you know, there's nothing more that these guys want to be playing in front of at home than a full crowd. So, you know, it's marketed very well. The venue is very nice. It's just a, a better place at the moment or going on record, the best place at the moment to play these international qualifiers to actually fully create the whole scope of what this program can actually become and it's really interesting i'm gonna i'm gonna touch on a relatively sensitive subject right now so initially when fiba moved to these international windows which you know don't get me wrong i do work for fiba i do commentary for fiba so you could say i'm biased in a way and i put that out there up front but i think the international windows are the right move i truly believe the internationals are the right move the more that that fans in their home countries can see their national teams play the better i appreciate politically there's issues the NBA, you're never going to get them to stop mid-season. I can't see that happening. Um, obviously, with the, the political situation between EuroLeague and FIBA, EuroLeague is certainly never going to stop for an international break. And that means that some countries, the bigger countries, usually without their best players. But I still believe this is the right move for international basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, it needs to be in front of it, it needs to be in front of the home fans. Um, and when we first moved to this system, a lot of leagues are, are around, particularly Europe. We're happy to take that international break. You know, some of the bigger leagues weren't, but but some of the leagues certainly committed to committing an international break. In in the pandemic, it, it stopped. You know, it was understood that times were crunched. The calendars had to be squeezed together. Um, so it's kind of excused. We're now out of that pandemic lockdown situation, but the BBL are playing games this weekend. Mm. Um, I know my opinion on this. I think it's probably pretty clear by the build-up to this. Should the BBL be taking the, the the high ground here and having an international break? Or can you understand why they're ploughing through? Well, I think I think they should, in a matter of fact. Yes, they should, because, you know, they, they've got a value. Now the BBL have a legit team in Europe as well, competing in European competition, going into the second phase of a competition, which not only harbours players that we can use in these, you know, the this is a building block, isn't it, to be better at, at, at the international level. So I think it's bad form from the BBL that they've not, uh, you know, not shown that the clubs can take this window, can recruit players in that are actually, or not have to worry about missing their best players because of this window. Um, you know, but I, I think these these windows are a fantastic thing. And simply for a, for a country as well, with our status in basketball, you know, if these players aren't going to send, these guys aren't going to send their best players to these qualifying tournaments, it only puts us in a more advantageous position to get stronger, get to major tournaments and start building. Because, you know, you see now, it's been a couple of years now, in the Spanish team, we've now got a second, third team. French of the second, third team that they can put out in these qualifications, but the whole scope of basketball gets bigger. So if you're willing to grow, I think you've got to accept this competition schedule and try and actually manipulate your way of thinking around it. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, in the current situation, yeah, in an ideal world, all leagues around the world would shut down for these international windows and we'd have the best players on the show. That's, you know, that's never in question. But I agree with you. There's opportunities here for all types of federations. For GB... It means that they've got more chance of qualifying for tournaments because they're going to be playing slightly weakened international teams. So for smaller federations like Britain, opportunity to profile the sport, to grow the sport, to get some headlines, to qualify for tournaments that enables us to progress our sports. And then you look at bigger um, federations. So, for example, I'm commentating on Spain's game against uh, North Macedonia this week. 
For Spain, it just means they're forced into creating debt. No longer can any federation go, right, we're going to focus all our attention on 12 to 15 senior players. No, you need to have a squad of 30 players that the federation is interacting with, that is nurturing and developing into elite level performers. Okay. yes, for some of those players, it's frustrating because some of the players that play on Friday's game um, will will absolutely they'll play the game. in the qualifiers, but they won't get selected for the final squad. There's arguments about whether that's fair or not, and that's one of the problems. But I just think it's really, really beneficial. And with me, the BBL not taking the break has serious repercussions, okay? One, it undermines GB basketball and makes people think, well, maybe it's not that important. If the league's carrying on, it's kind of a sideshow, okay? And it's not a a focal point of the sport, which is absolutely wrong. It should be the focal point. It should be the elite, the tip of of the, 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 the arrow of what we're doing within basketball. And the second one is, I'm a GM. If I know my league are going to carry on ploughing through, how likely am I going to want to be building a core of players? You know, I might think, right, I've got a philosophy. I want GB basketball to improve. I'm going to recruit five GB players. No, I'm not. Because on those two games, three games, four games, because there's another one in February, I don't know if BBL are breaking for that or not, I'm missing my players. So if I want a title contention, I could lose all four games. That's the season over. That's telling me as a GM, I don't want to go and recruit international players or I want to recruit international players who have no chance of representing their country, i.e. more Americans. And it just, it, it's for me, it sends the wrong messages in all directions. Yeah, for me, it's exactly the same. You just can't have it where, where the highest level of the game in any structure is totally, totally dis- disagree with a league that also itself is just trying to grow. It just doesn't make any sense. You either support this, we grow together, but we still have the same factor with the BBL as well, trying to play European competition. Again, it's not highly supported, even though the depth of European competition that the league holds, the depth of the international players that you can produce, and then the stronger the, the international team becomes because you have more access to them, etc. The game grows because they're seeing these guys every single time. It makes me laugh sometimes with uh, England basketball where they say aspire, but we're not putting ourselves in a situation where we can actually allow people to aspire to a higher level because you're always keeping a lid on it by not factoring out the the small, tiny details, which the league should be really thinking about. Yeah, I agree. And I hope it's an anomaly. I hope in future windows um, that, that they kind of change uh, the policy and they go back to respecting the international break. I think you can make a showcase of it. And I think it's a great moment for all basketball fans to come together with one vision. For a weekend, you can turn your club head off and you can just be a British basketball fan and unite to support a, a larger cause than just your club. Um, one last question I had around the BBL and the international situation. Um, is it possible that we can judge kind of the quality of the BBL by how many BBL players are selected for the GB squad? Or is that unfair? At the moment, only four of 22 selected in the long list were BBL players. Is it fair to make that kind of judgment on the BBL? Should the BBL be home to 30, 40, 50% of the GB squad? I think in a dream world, yes. I don't think it's at that stage right now because you don't have a higher outlet for these players to play at. Yeah, you know, It's the same rotation of teams, over 10 teams. There's no international travel. There's no, you know, even, even when you look at London Lions. At the moment, when you think about it, Jordan Williams, maybe Chris Tawai, the only guys that are getting regular minutes, you would think Justin... Uh, 
Justin would also play, but they're the ones that are getting regular minutes now on that side. So, you know, we need to be celebrating and supporting the fact that, you, you know, you've got to, you look at the Polish, Polish Federation, a lot of work went into them getting into the Champions League with top three teams, getting into FIBA Euro Cup, getting into higher level competitions so they can grow their national teams. Yeah, you know, it's, they're really good. They're a, From an international perspective, they're a great model that GB could follow. Can follow easily. And it's just, it's not easy, I know, but also with the hindrance of Brexit, et cetera, now there's a real base where you've got the league complex, you, you know, you've got, the, you've got all structures to build into it, but it comes back to flipping on the whole side of where it's more always about the competition structure than actually the talent. And I wish that they would just really work on the talent side of it a little bit more, you know, yeah. get the best players here instead of just prov- providing a structure. You know, I think that is something that they've really got to look at. Okay, so we're going to jump away from the BBR angle with regards to the GB conversation now. Um, so the setup of the competition, um, as I said, they've got Greece, Turkey, Belarus in their group. Okay, is the top three teams out of those four that qualify. Let's be honest. Okay, let's take a reality check. Greece and Turkey are clearly favourites to qualify through that competition. It's going to be down to GB or Belarus coming through in third place. It feels, don't get me wrong, we can create upsets. I don't want to jinx the team before they've even started, but that's what the form book would suggest. Um, if we get through to the second round, we will then face the top three teams out of uh, Group A, which is Serbia, Slovakia, Belgium and Latvia. Serbia clearly should be favourites. You know, they should go through unbeaten with regards to that. From that second round, it is then the top three teams out of those six that will go through. So the feeling is we'd have to be, we'd have to get a, an upset win against Greece, Turkey, or Serbia. We'd have to have the head-to-head against one of those teams at least to qualify for the World Cup. Um, how likely is that? Do you feel, or is that really a, a step too far for where the GB program is right now? With the likely side of plus minus, etc., against these teams like Turkey and Belarus, you know, you know that Turkey and Greece are squad teams now, so it's going to be the guys that will be able to travel on these windows in February and November, which are always good for us. You know, so you're looking at maybe can you steal one, maybe win back to back against Belarus, get through. Maybe I mean, I was involved in the Dutch system. When they first qualified for the, they, what what we loved about it is okay, it was different. We didn't think we, they were going to get through. However, what it did give us was an extra three, four games as a national team every year to prepare for other tournaments as well, so we can get higher. So even if they don't make it through to the World Cup finals at the end. You know, you're still adding more games to this roster, to this squad of players that, you know, it means that it has to be taken more seriously. And um, I'm with you. You know, like I said, I want British basketball to do the best it possibly can be. I've put sweat, tears, blood, money, everything into it over the years. Um, So I want them to succeed. I can't see them making the World Cup finals. Just looking at the draw, the quality and the depth of the quality when you look at Greece, Turkey, Serbia... Um, I just think that they have depth that the international windows aren't necessarily going to hammer too hard. They're going to still be able to bring out some absolute top-level talent for their national teams in, in, in all the qualification windows. But for me, the minimum is second round. Okay, that's progression. Moving through to the second qualification round, which will require them to more than likely do the double against Belarus. I think if they do the double against Belarus, 
they'll come away with um, a qualification of the second round. For me, that is the the bottom. That's got to be what the minimum standard expected of this team is. We're progressing. We're moving in the right direction. Qualification for Eurobasket secured. Surely second round is where we where we want to be. Um, one of the biggest questions that's been posed around the GB team is around the coach structure. Yeah, there's been lots of questions around players and, you know, who should be in the GB team and it, it, all of those kind of things. But a lot of questions have been put around the coaching structure. Officially, Nate Ranking is head coach. We obviously, I had a little bit of a mini rant last week about the fact that he's not head coach. He hasn't been here for a long time and um, it makes no sense for him to be head coach. Um, Mark Stutel is GB head coach, interim uh, head coach, as it were. A couple of questions to this. The first one is, uh, is Mark Stutel the right man for the job? And then the second question is, should the GB head coach be coaching in National League Division 3? I think, to put it, <laughs> no, is one of the, is the, is a simple answer. But for me, I mean, when you look back at the, uh, at the history list, we've made every single Eurobasket since 2009, but there's still no stability in staff. There's still no direction in staff. As much as you need a squad of players, you need a squad of coaching staff as well that are always able to grow and be at this period all the time. To hire in somebody, you know, whatever, Mark Stan must have done a fantastic job, but it's, he's always been the value. He's always been the, the reason for somebody else's mistake because, you know, the consistency of making tournaments is there. The consistency to get the higher point in basketball in Europe is there. We just don't match it. I mean, Sutor has been in this program now for a long time and he's a valid asset to this program. But is it to say as well that if a new head coach comes in, he's left behind? Because no, you've got to continue him as an assistant role, etc., like this, because he has been a part of this program for, for a long time and he's had to carry them through. I just... Is he the right guy for the job to take them further forward? No, but is he right to be in the program? 100%. I really do believe that. But it's the depth of this coaching staff that we've really got to start working on and actually hiring somebody over a five-year period that is going to commit to the greater course. Yeah, and I agree with you completely. You know, is Coach Stutel the man for the job? He's the man for the job right now. That's yeah. how I see it, you know. He's kind of like Oli Gunny Solskjaer, right, at Man United. He kind of got the interim job started winning some games. Well, how do you get rid of a man who's winning? You're, you're crazy to get rid of someone that's winning you games. You know, Stutel helped us get to Eurobasket. That's a huge hat tip. He should take a huge amount of credit for that. Mm -hmm. Is he able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the coaches he's going to face both in the World Cup qualifiers and in Eurobasket? He's not, you know, he doesn't have the experience level. He's not week in, week out going up against the best coaches and the best teams in the world. This week, they played Calderdale. No disrespect to Calderdale, but uh, that's not a coaching challenge that is representative of facing Greece or Turkey. You know, that's not preparing him to go up against and battle wits with the best coaches in the world, and that's what we need. Um, and I agree with you. If <laughs> I know finances are tight within GB basketball, but we need someone to come in and take the head coach's job Seriously. And that head coach's job can extend far beyond just being a head coach of the team. It can be about building assistant coaches, developing the next head coach. Um, as we see uh, around Europe, Finland do it well. Mm -hmm. You know, they've developed their assistant coaches to be very good head coaches. This is the process we need to follow and we don't seem to be doing it. Um, I think obviously Stuchel 
his role will play out. Um, I, I can't see him being the long-term solution. You know, I wish him well and I want him to win as many games as he can for GB, but I don't see him as a long-term solution. But I don't see where GB basketball goes from here. I still feel their next coach will either be, as they've done now, recruit an American who never wants to be here, okay, or can't be here. That's harsh on Nate. It's not that he doesn't want to be here. He has other commitments. Or they have to recruit a club coach from the UK. If they're going to recruit a club coach from the UK, it has to be a club coach that's at the highest level, right? Within the, within the British basketball pyramid, it has to be a coach that's won things, that's achieved things, that has quite a considerable experience at the highest level of elite basketball in the UK. Does that make sense, Chris? Or where, where yeah, you I, would, going I would be targeting as well, taking a, taking a coach that coaches regularly within uh, the Champions League or something like that, you know, some, or in FIBA Europe or something that is outside, but then also continue to build your core staff with BBL head coaches, et cetera, to be able to, you know, I don't, are we ready as a coaching staff right now to take on this level? No, because only one person at the moment is coaching at a European level <laughs> within, you know, within our own BBL structure. Yeah. So, no, I think for, for the time being, we've got to highlight, you know, a coach that is used to coaching against teams and structures which run on the same FIBA process, such as the Champions League or FIBA EuroCup, bringing him in to rebuild the program and to work with everybody here <laughs> to, to establish and, say, set ourselves within five years' time that, you know, the best coaches will actually coach and we will finally have a... a a structured uh, British head coach as a, you know, as uh, for the national team. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, looking at the games themselves, as I said, Greece at home on Thursday, Turkey away in Istanbul on Sunday, which is always going to be an interesting one. Um, I've been fortunate enough to go to the arena that's at, and it, it it's a wonderful atmosphere. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, which of the GB team, they're going to be underdogs in both these games, but which of the GB team do you feel are more likely to win? Uh, I think, you know, I, I think they were very competitive last time out against Greece. I think maybe being at home against Greece, the first game, I think away at Turkey. It, again, it just depends which player actually plays and, and which, which lineup you're going to face right now. <laughs> so in both games, I think everything is totally still unknown. I think they've got nothing to fear. I think... You know, you've got to carry on the the good of the victories against France, etc., within the Euro Eurobasket qualification, and keep building from there. I, to say who's favourites, obviously the easy hat tip is Turkey and Greece, but I think having a good game, a good game on the 25th, leads to a better performance on the 28th, no matter what. I, I, I severely see that they're both competitive for sure. Uh, coming out of a win. I think they might be able to sneak one, but, you know, keeping the game tight, keeping the head-to-head -head tight, it's a very, very important thing on both games. Yeah, and I think, uh, for me, I think the Greece game for several reasons. One, like you said, it's at home. I think this is the one. And I also think the Greece team, and again, these are only long rosters that have come out. Um, in, they don't announce the 12 really until the day. Uh, in most cases, but the Greek roster just doesn't look as strong as the Turkish roster. And I believe it's more to do with being on the road. I think you yeah. can get players to commit. So the Turkish roster will commit to playing a game in Istanbul yeah. because how many of their players are playing in Istanbul? 
you know it's not a huge amount of traveling they'll turn up you know two days before that will be their training camp they'll leave the moment that the the buzzer goes on the second game of the weekend and they can go back to their clubs within 12 hours so i think the turkish team will be far stronger relatively speaking than the greek team will be because the greek team will obviously have to travel and that will reduce the number of options they particularly have of players willing to leave their club situations so i think the GB Greece game, it's ridiculous. It's the first game of, of six within his first qualification, but could be one of the biggest games they play. Yes, um, yes. Outside of the two games against Belarus, I think it truly could be one of the biggest games they play because like you said, kind of sets the tone as well. You know, it sets the tone for who we are as a club. Are we, you know, who we are as a country? Are we capable of going forward? Um, what's your inkling with regards to that? So Greece is the highest chance of us winning, but overall across this qualification, I said Greece, Turkey, Belarus, Let's look at round one. Do you feel we're going to be one of the top three teams in that group? Yes. Yeah, I do. I think we're able to uh, to be able to get through, hopefully, this part of the group and move on to the second round. I just think, you know, again, we still play with that idea of the chip on our shoulder. You know, then it's amazing what, even though this dynamic of not having a restricted head coach it actually brings people together. I think this team has gone through enough now to fight off for any, really any adversity. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they do it because they keep on. Everybody says no chance, but they always give themselves a chance. So there's no, there's one bet I would never take and it's definitely against this team. Okay. All good. Um, do you, uh, so second round, we think we're going to make it is overall qualification to the world cup, uh, maybe a step too far. I think, well, are they going to make it through to the World Cup finals in Asia next year? I think with, with the insecurity of the structure that we have as a national team programme, I think going through to the second round is probably the highest that we face. Yeah. And, you know, we need, more. we need more to be able to to face up against, you know, you can do it once, do it twice. It's yeah. the same It's the same value as us qualifying. We can qualify, but at tournaments, are we going to break that 14th place or something like that? You know, this is, yeah. this is the same feeling I get with the qualification system that we have here. Perfect. Okay. We're going to move on to our second question now. We spent a ton of time focusing on on GB and I'm glad we did. Um, certainly a passion of both of ours. I know that. Um, our second question goes back and focuses in on the BBL, someone we haven't really talked about too much this year. We had quite a bit of negativity early on, but understandably so. We felt a fair bit of sympathy for them. Things seem to be turning around slightly in Plymouth. They've had uh, some different results in recent weeks, pushed some good teams a lot closer than they were in the early part of the season. Potentially, that could be attributed to the arrival of Kofi Josephs and Roel Graham Bell. So the question I've got for you is, what difference do the new additions make to Plymouth? Uh, at the moment, not really much because they still haven't won. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I am enthusiastic a little bit about Roel Graham. I think he gives some scoring inside, uh, as good as Kingsley can be. He's not that scoring threat, and at that four-five position that Roel can play, he's you know he can he can bring a scoring edge, defensive edge to that team. Um, I just uh, when you look at Kofi, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know Kofi's. Kofi's his own guy, but you always feel that he's always wrapped up too much in himself, a bit too much. And is he actually, as as good as his stats might be, is he the guy that Plymouth really need to actually take this team a little bit further? Especially when Denzel is out, you're losing this week with um, oh, the other guard. <laughs> 
He's away with Albania. <laughs> uh, Dusha. Dusha. Yeah, sorry, with Dusha out, you know, you're going very limited. Um, it still shows within the game against, it still shows within the game against Glasgow that they still have their things. I think out of all of it, I would have been even more impressed if if they would have actually beaten Manchester this weekend, last weekend, last week. Yeah, that would have made a real statement, right, if they turn over Manchester. They lost by six in that game, but they certainly pushed them <laughs> unbelievably close. Um, you talk about Kofi, and this was something that I picked out, and I, I lay it out here now. I don't know the ins and outs of Kofi. I don't know him personally. Um, all I can do is make judgments from the outside, looking you know, at, at his career and things like that. So anyone that knows Kofi, it can't take this personally. Well, you can take it personally, but it's not meant that way. It's an external... Um, objective point of view. Kofi has never stayed anywhere for more than 20 games in a season and no club, he's not spent more than one season with any club. Um, his performance has been good throughout his career. You look, he's gone to reasonably good leagues and, and put in some good stints, good performances um, and, and turned up in some big games. Firstly, why is he not finding a club that he can settle and build a career with? And the second question kind of for you is, for a GM, for a coach, does this raise kind of alarm bells when looking potentially at recruiting Kofi? I think so. I mean, you go into a position sometimes where I think it's kind of all about him. He'll warm up in his own stuff. It's it's all about his story coming into these games. There's no there's no doubt that this kid can score. He's gone everywhere and his stats are, say, consistently the same. Um, that side of Kofi, if you could just get that side of Kofi, I think that a lot of teams would, would look to take him. He's played for a couple of very big teams in the BBL in Glasgow and that very good Worcester Wolves team where they won the, you know, they won the cup that season. But for him, I just feel that it's definitely just more about him. 47 points against Manchester, but you still lose. You know, he, he you want to portray yourself as a record breaker and stuff like that, but your team's still losing. I just think I understand. I understand that value as a player. I don't think social media helps that. But no. just having a guy that's you know, at the moment, if I'm Plymouth, he's creating headlines. But it's the headlines are about him. It's not about Plymouth. Yeah, individual record breaking. Individual record. And for me, you know, moving forward, you, you know, you played Glasgow this weekend. It didn't have their best player on the floor. The coach didn't even come on the floor, didn't even need to. You're still missing that X factor sort of thing. You know you're going to play 38 minutes a game. You know you're going to play without a leash on. You know all of this, but still you want to still be treated as the same way. To me, it doesn't mix up. And... Okay, at first it's going to be very good. He's going to get his. I just, you know, with Plymouth, is is that what really Plymouth need? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And I kind of hope, because Kofi's one of those players that I've enjoyed watching and his mm. career has frustrated me because he's clearly talented. He can play the game. But like you say, there seems to be distractions off the court, be it modelling, be it uh, designing his own trainers and stuff like that. Um, and he, he obviously... To a certain degree, he doesn't help it because he gets criticised and the reaction is always quite um, confrontational from him. You see his posts on social media. He's posting confrontational things whenever anyone criticises him. Mm -hmm. But he can play basketball. This is the thing that drives you crazy. The guy can flat out play basketball. If he could zone out all of that stuff, stick with Plymouth for the year, lead them potentially into the playoffs or do something with them and even re-sign with them. He could really do with being at a club for 18 months, two years to kind of reignite that career. 
um, you know, and give him a chance to, to, to leave some kind of legacy behind. Yes, he's going to be um, leave the record of most points scored in a BBL by a British player. But like you say, individual accolades, you speak to the greats, they don't mean as much to them as the, as the team team rewards they do. Um, looking at Ruel, um, last played in the UK several years ago, played at the club I was working with at the time, Leeds Carnegie in Division 1 when they went. They won the, uh, the playoffs as rank outsiders. Um, he went to Spain for three, year, uh, for three years in Leb Silver, two years in Leb Gold. Last season, he played in Germany Pro B, averaged 19.6 rebounds in Pro B last year. I've said it every year. Why has Rowell not been back in the BBL before now? Why have we not seen him recruited, and not by a Plymouth, no disrespect Plymouth, but by a Leicester, a Newcastle, a London? I don't understand. Mm. I think maybe it's more to do about the stigma of the league that, you know, this country still fights with. And maybe the fact that now without a German passport, that door closes on other sides as well. So unless you're going to be brought in as an import player, then you you don't have a chance anymore to play in that sort of situation. So hopefully in a selfish way to get the best players back here, this is starting to see, this will hopefully start to see a trend and strengthen the league in itself. But no, he definitely brings value to that team. He's another target for Carpenter. You know, it's just uh, he he's able to help that forward positional scoring, which they lack so much of as it's so guard-orientated. And especially now with Denzel out of a broken hand, he, it feels like with me, you know, he's the guy you throw the ball to if you want to get a score. Yeah, certainly uh, it feels like Roel, as from a team perspective, is going to bring them something they've been in desperate need of. Um, although I think I'm a little bit more pro Kofi than you in the sense of I, I truly believe that if he can focus in on the team, which some of the interviews I've seen him with, he seems to be, but he, you need to live it, not just say it. So that's only time will tell on that one. If he can, I think he could be a huge contribution. Um, one of the rumours coming out uh, around Plymouth is that they're pretty close to securing their visa licence. Um, so hopefully they'll be able to bring some imports in. Do you expect to see them cutting players in order to bring in imports as soon as they get that visa license? I think when you only roster a team of six actual players, I wonder who the hell you're going to cut this weekend. So I don't know if you're going to cut. I think they've got a good core. Uh, I suppose it will depends who. If you do bring in Americans, it's going to reduce people's numbers. I think the, the the minutes per game has really helped players like Joe Hart. I think he's playing pretty well at the moment. He's got better as the season's gone on, and I think he's opened up because he's got the free leash on the playing time. Um, he's looking a little bit different, but it, it definitely shows because even with all you've got, even with the scoring of Kofi and stuff like that, there still is no game winner right now on that team even though saying that I do feel looking at this roster what they have right now they're not going to go through the season unbeaten they're going to catch somebody out they really will oh I think without a shadow of a doubt even if they weren't going to bring imports in which I truly believe they are um uh, yeah that this team is ready to catch it will catch someone and I don't think it's necessarily that the other team will have a bad day I think Plymouth will bring together all these pieces. Yeah. Uh, they'll connect on more than one game. I could see them having five or six wins in the season with just this roster, which when we were talking pre-season was not the case. We were going, if this roster stays the same, they are going to go zero for the season. They're going to walk away with no wins. So it's good to see they're moving in the right direction. Um, 
at what point, so if you look on Companies House, you can see that Andy Webb, the COO of the, the BBL, is a director at Plymouth City Patriots. At what point does the league step back? Or last time I checked, he was. At what point does the league step back from ownership and potentially the league is financially subsidising the club? Um, obviously, at the moment, with the investment that's been rumoured around um, the BBL, that's they, they need to keep as many clubs as they can. They couldn't certainly have afforded to lose two out of 11 in one off-season. Um, at what point does the league step back, though, from ownership of or partial control of the club and potential financial subsidy of it? I think I think you have to give yourself a maximum time of two years. Uh, one to st- uh, to stabilize the club, get import licensing in, see if it can run a profitable business, or you know can keep its head above float, and then step away to to allow Plymouth to grow into its own community. So, yeah, I think if we, I think it's more of a problem if in two years' time Andy Webb has still got his name on that list. <laughs> yeah, for me, I'm even harsher, man. I give him a year. I'm not even kidding you. For me, it's a year. Like you said, steady the ship, find out what the problems are, where are you leaking, where are the biggest holes in the ship, uh, plug those up, and if you're not ready at the end of the year, then when are you ever going to be ready? That's 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 kind of my opinion. What's going to change? If it's a pavilions problem, how is that going to change in the short term? It isn't. You know, the venue problem isn't going to change in the short term. What I hope is that this isn't just the league putting a plaster over Plymouth, keep them afloat for the year, they get the investment deal done, and then they just hang one of the, you know, the oldest, well, the most supported franchise in the league out to dry, mm-hmm. knowing that they probably should have been let go at the beginning of this year without all the hassle of rebrand and everything like that if they're not a, if they're not a, a, a sustainable business. That said, I counter that and say, I feel they are. I feel they're moving in the right direction. I know the fan base in Plymouth are fully behind the club. Um, it, I think it does just come down to venue. Um, and I just, yeah, I hope for, for all sake that, that Plymouth find their feet this year. The league can step back from supporting them. Um, uh, and they can become independent again next year. Um, looking more short term, they play the Sharks twice, the Flyers and the Phoenix. That's their next four games, and that takes them up to Christmas, um, which I'm sure we're all focusing on now. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many of those four games do you think they can win? I think all of them are winnable, but how many do you think they're going to win? Yeah, it's the, <laughs> I always think with this team as well, every team that they face... Uh, the other team that they face are thinking, are we going to be the first guys to lose to these guys? And, you know, that's going to be added pressure moving on to these. If everybody's firing, uh, you know, the more <laughs> you can see them winning one. Yeah. You can see them winning one. But, you know, if you, you can see sometimes with problems that Cheshire have, that two or three players can outscore you, you know, it, but it has to be a case of that because, you know, it's, there's certain things when you watch them still hasn't changed. There's still the body language, the, the depth in rotation, the coach that won't leave the referees alone in key periods. It, it, you know, it's just, it's the same. It's this little same problems moving forward. So, yeah, everybody's firing. They're going to get it. They're going to catch somebody out for sure. And you can actually see them winning that first game before Christmas. Yeah, so you think they're going to pick up one out of those four? One out of four, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think one's a minimum. Um, if these changes, for me, if I get to Christmas and they haven't won a game, I'm thinking these changes aren't enough or they weren't the right changes to be made and that would concern me. I think one, I think potentially two, they could pick up wins as they grow and gel. It just depends how this team finds its identity. Again, you brought in 
what will probably be your two key players now in Kofi and Roel, uh, and it's just how the rest of the team mould around that and change the focus. They spent the first two months of the season, you know, with a underdog, all about the team mentality, and now you've got two focal points. Uh, it's going to change. If they gel, I can see them picking up two out of those four games, and I think I'd be happy at that point. You know, they'd be they'd be two and five going into Christmas. I think they could enjoy their turkey on a two and five record, considering what we were talking about before the season started. Um, as it stands, though, still no wins for their name. Zero and three in the league. Um, do we feel these additions? So ignore the fact they might make any more changes or get any more imports or anything like that. Where are they going to finish because of these additions? We predicted flat out with the roster they had, they were going to be bottom of the table. Have these two uh, new signings changed that in your mind? Are they still favourites to finish bottom or are they going to finish further up the league? I think so. It's just that last game mentality. Yeah, they still got that point where you're going to pick up a few wins, but you know, no, I don't think with the way the other nine teams are set, um, you know, it's not... I still see that they're going to finish within that positional base. Just on these, just these two sign-ins coming in, as hard as it is, I think they get better. They're more competitive. I just think fourth quarter issues will always be the same with this style of players on the on the floor. For me, it's interesting. I was thinking about this one in quite depth, and I kept having an argument with myself, which is always interesting to watch. Um, but it was very much like I don't know. I think this puts them on level on a level place with Surrey now, in my mind. I just feel that it's... If you put both these teams on the floor this weekend, I cannot tell you who's winning this one. This is going to be like one or two point spreads. I, I couldn't tell you who would be favourites this weekend. Like you say, with uh, Ubiaro, who's had a phenomenal season, heartbreaking that he's now going to be out for a while. Mm -hmm. um, that does impact it. But I still think I don't know. I really don't know. I Are they going to make the playoffs... Not without further changes. Are they going to finish bottom? Potentially not now, which is an up on where they were, they were two months ago, right? <laughs> yeah. So they've. Uh, yeah, I do think that. I feel. I feel there's more positivity coming out within the last couple of weeks with the change. With the change, you do find yourself a little bit more competitive. You do take away that underdog ritual that you're going to go into every game and get smacked, <laughs> and and also, you know, you do find yourself with an ability to actually win so that in itself actually brings a different void to what you're doing yeah it's uh it's good to see the changes uh for Plymouth fans uh you know stick with them stick with the team yeah. it feels like they're going in the right direction they're making the right moves to build uh, a bit more longer term the next obviously big moment is going to be when they get their visa license what do they do with that how do they adjust the team are they going to cut to sign because like I say financially I imagine they're very very tight at the moment um, so do they have to cut players to sign players? Um, everyone knows, sadly, you get more bang for your buck from the import market. Um, so potentially domestic players will, will be sacrificed for that. So that'll be interesting to see. But all in all, I, I feel more positive about Plymouth with these two signings, you know, particularly for me, because I know Rowell. Um, I think that's a great signing. I truly think that's a really good signing and one that I can't believe that hasn't been done in the BBL by another team. You know, like you said, maybe previous years he didn't want to be here this year. The visa situation has pushed him into it. But how come no other team looked at him in the summer? Yeah, yeah. You know, particularly someone like a London Lions. You know, they they love scooping up British players. Vince, it's all, all about that. So it was a surprise. Okay, well, that wraps up another Make Him Take Him episode. Thank you all so much for listening in. Please do go and follow uh, our sponsors, Rookie, on social media. Remember, 
If you do, you have a chance of winning a huge prize bundle before Christmas. All you need to do is go and like their Facebook or Twitter page at Official Rookie. Remember, Rookie without the E. We'll be back next week with more British basketball discussion. Until then, have a good week and we will see you all soon. 